Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of With Love Alexa. Today I have Cam Ayala. You may have seen him or heard of him from Bachelorette 15, Hannah Brown season, and also Bachelor in Paradise season six. He's also a lymphedema, lymphedema warrior and advocate, and we're going to talk all things his journey with his chronic illness to his time on the show and how he stays strong during hard times. Hey Cam, how are you? I'm doing well, Alexa. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. I love talking. I just love talking to people in general, but especially people that do suffer from what I call like an invisible illness, which is like mm-hmm. you can't see it. Um, and it could be anything from mental health to a chronic pain or a chronic illness. So I'm excited to hear your journey and kind of how everything came to be. Yeah, and that reminds me, uh, the other day I was driving and I saw this uh, SUV and it had a, a bumper sticker on the back and uh, it said, not all handicaps are visible. And I thought that was interesting because I actually have a handicap placard for my vehicle that I, I use it kind of intermittently depending upon um, how bad the swelling and pain is in my, yeah. in my right leg from my lymphedema. Um, and I just found that to be interesting because I think a lot of people who may not have a disability or a handicap they'll just see someone on the surface and they'll kind of mm-hmm. diagnose, Oh, well, what are you doing? You know, with, with the handicap plaque or there's nothing wrong with you, or you're just obese, you're lazy. You need to park farther back, you know, things <laughs> like that. So I can definitely resonate with that sentiment that what you see on the surface um, doesn't necessarily tell the whole picture uh, from a medical perspective too. Oh, for sure. Like I have one also, and I ended up getting the blue permanent one. Um, mm-hmm because I kept getting it so often because it was only like six months. So I have to keep getting it. So they ended up just giving me, and I try not to use it, but I'm in constant pain. So like there's days I just have to walk as close as I can. Like if I have to leave the house, like there'll be days I don't even leave the house. So though it's like nice to be able to use it, but I definitely have gotten like stairs and I'm always like ready for someone to, no one's actually come to me though. Like actually said anything out loud. But like, I'm always ready, like someone's going to say something. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten that um, where they have come up to me because I'm six foot four and I'm pretty slender. Like, again, <laughs> on the surface level, you wouldn't be able to tell, but they don't understand the internal part. Um, and I've even had notes written on a card and say, this is reserved for real handicapped people. I'm like, what does that even mean? Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> hurt people hurt people, right? Yes. And it's crazy because so many people have these like mental disabilities or physical disabilities, whether you can see them or you can't probably more than not have something. Mm -hmm. And I think we just need to be more empathetic. Totally. Yeah. I've definitely learned, like I've always thought of myself as someone who is empathetic. Like obviously I don't know what people go through. So but I used to not be as like maybe empathetic to like a service person, like if they're being rude, like, but now looking now when I, after dealing with my pain, I kind of will start to like maybe look a little in and say, well, maybe they're, they might be going through something that I don't know. Like I couldn't imagine on my worst pain days, having to put a smile on my face and work at like a restaurant or a store, wherever it may be, and have to like be nice mm-hmm. when all I want to do is scream and cry. Yeah. And um, I think we all, and we'll probably talk more about this deeper into the conversation, but 
any type of, of pain or trauma, whatever it is that we go through, um, though it sucks in the moment and, you know, it's obviously personal to you, but uh, typically most people um, who embrace that and, and get through it uh, and manage it typically will have more gratitude and empathy and sympathy for other individuals. That's, that's what I've come to find too. So for yeah, sure. right, right on the same page. Yes. Um, so speaking of, let's, I guess, start from the beginning, maybe like, I don't, were you born with it? Like, just tell us a little bit about your like journey from just how it came to be and how you were diagnosed. Sure. Um, so just for everyone who's not familiar, which is most people who aren't super (laughs) familiar with the disease I have, it's called lymphedema. And when I initially say that most people think, oh, you have lymphoma because they sound very similar and they're spelled kind of similar, but they're very different. Um, so essentially when I'm describing lymphedema to most people who've never heard of it, uh, I try to make like an association with one of the symptoms that is pretty common with the disease that most people can relate to. So most people at some point in their life, even if they were, or were not an athlete has probably rolled or sprained their ankle or, um, had that kind of trauma where it swells up and is really tight and painful, you know, like, have you ever sprained your ankle before? Mm-hmm. you know when it swells up? So when yeah. that swelling happens, that's basically lymphatic fluid um, accumulating. And, and that moment, your body can't properly move that fluid. So it causes the inflammation and that pain and discomfort. So when you have lymphedema, it basically means you have a chronic swollen limb. It can be upper or lower extremity. It can even be in your face. It's really all over your body because the lymphatic system literally touches from the top of your head to the tips of your toes. Yeah. And so when you have lymphedema, that means you have an impaired lymphatic system. You can either be born with it. Like I was, I have primary lymphedema or most commonly you can have secondary lymphedema, which is typically a result of some sort of trauma. You may have heard of uh, patients have had breast cancer, predominantly female, where they remove lymph nodes or they remove Mm -hmm. the breast. And as a result of that surgery, they end up having a really swollen arm and have to wear a compression garment for the rest of their life. Right. So And as it currently stands, uh, it's a disease that is progressive in nature. So it actually gets worse and worse over time, especially if a patient doesn't manage it and and do all the protocols that requires daily management. Um, And there's also currently no cure. Uh, There's a couple of surgical interventions that are still on the experimental side, but I tell patients, uh, my patients, when I'm working with them, I say, look, like you should basically treat your lymphatic health like you would your dental hygiene. You should brush and floss every day. (laughs) And for lymphedema, for most patients, you should wear your compression garments. You should use your pumps. You should do all of the other exercises and things that make it uh, a manageable condition, but still requires a lot of daily work and, and pain tolerance as well. Yeah. So I'll rewind just real quick. So I was actually diagnosed at age 11. And uh, I'm from Houston, Texas. And fortunately, there is an amazing medical um, uh, facility here at the Texas Medical Center. It's actually the Mm -hmm. largest in the world. And uh, that's home to MD Anderson, the cancer center, and a lot of the large hospital systems. So people literally come from all over the world to to Houston to seek um, care for whatever, you know, sickness or illness that they may have. And so that was the blessing for me is being surrounded by top physicians to, to get diagnosed. But even then, it still took about a year for me to get that official diagnosis. Yes, you have primary lymphedema. Um, and there's other patients who live in other parts of the United States and really anywhere in the world who can go almost their entire life with being either misdiagnosed or not diagnosed at all. 
And those are the patients my heart's really break for because yeah. what a lot of people don't know, just one quick little number figure here, lymphedema actually impacts over 20 million Americans alone, which is more than ALS, AIDS, and Parkinson's combined. But you just don't hear a whole lot about it because a lot of physicians don't learn a lot about it in their uh, medical school. And it's not really like a mainstream disease and there's not a whole lot of advocacy um, that's as popular per se as something like AIDS or Parkinson's or MLS or some of the more, I guess, mainstream um, disabilities and uh, diseases that people are uh, aware of, I should say. That's so crazy. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's how I was diagnosed at age 11. Yeah. So what was going on, like, I guess, leading you to go to find a diagnosis? Like, did you have, like, what kind of symptoms yep. did you have? Um, did you have doctors basically telling you you're fine? Like, how was that whole process? Yeah, yeah that, <laughs> uh, that really started at that age 11, because that's the, the time period where most, um, you know, adolescents are going through puberty and the growth spurts. And yeah, I'm pretty tall. And I, that's when I really started to grow is in that fifth, sixth grade range. Yeah. And when I was playing basketball, just, you know, you're kind of YMCA select league basketball. Um, I started to have really bad lower back pains after every game. And beyond that, even the coaches and, uh, and the parents are like, it kind of looks like Cam's kind of limping up and down the court. Is he okay? And so when I went to just your regular orthopedic doctor to do some x-rays, he identified, hey, your right leg is about an inch and a half shorter than your left. And oh, by the way, looking at this x-ray, there's some weird black spotting there on your knee that we think may be cancerous. So we want to go in and do a bone biopsy. So again, uh, hearing the C word uh, cancer, that is when you're a pretty young child, it, it is very, very scary because I think most people associate cancer with death or with all these tragedies. And, you know, you, you think of losing all your hair and, and all this and that. And that was definitely what was going through my head. I, I was, you know, in that, that space and, and had had to get emergency surgery like that to me. Yeah. Uh, I just started thinking of all the things that I wouldn't be able to do. I wouldn't be able to play sports with my friends. I wouldn't be able to ride my bike. Um, and you know, that's where I kind of started to spiral. And when he did the surgery, um, he removed a pretty decent size of, uh, of bone from my right knee from the distal femur there. And it turns out it wasn't cancerous, but it was that act of doing that surgery what's exacerbated my lymphedema that had been latent. It, had, it hadn't been showing any symptoms, but that surgery is what was my, they call a triggering event yep. that caused this chronic swelling that um, you know, hasn't gone away ever since. So that was really that first symptom and uh, really the post-diagnosis of, of my lymphedema journey that I have lived and will continue to live uh, seemingly <laughs> indefinitely. Yeah, that it's just so it's scary. It's like to think like that one incident, like changed everything. Mm -hmm. um, when you have chronic sweat with your chronic swelling, is it always like your one knee always swollen? Or is it kind of just depends? Is it more if you hurt something? It, How does that it, it depends on the level of activity uh, with with what I'm doing. I have a pretty um, I don't want to say labor intensive job, but I drive a lot going from different hospitals and different clinics and then even into patients' homes. And most of my patients skew on the older and larger side. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen that show, uh, My 600 Pound Life. Yeah. 
Yep. So I've actually seen a decent amount of Dr. Nels Arden's patients. And uh, I'd say 90% of his patients have lymphedema because they're just, they're so morbidly obese that their lymphatic vessels and their veins can't handle that fluid. So it just balloons out. So um, for me, most of my swelling is pretty much concentrated, like kind of in the knee, kind of up here to my hip. Yeah. And it requires me to wear um, medical grade compression garments, okay. like almost 24 seven. Cause then when I'm not wearing my garment in the daytime, then I even have like a nighttime one that I wear. And, um, I work for a company that manufactures, uh, the pumps specifically for lymphedema that's home therapy. So I'm obviously talking about that all day, but then ultimately using it on myself in the evening time. So that's all kind of part of this, uh, compression ecosystem to manage the condition to help it from progressing, which happens to a lot of patients who don't handle it just really, really bad. Cause if you were to Google image search lymphedema, mm -hmm. like I initially did when I was diagnosed, I mean, you see patients with elephantitis where their arms or their legs are so big. It really just kind of scares the crap out of you. And for me, I, I said at an interview a couple of weeks ago, looking back now, I, I think I really did become a man at age 11 when I was given that diagnosis and told that there's no cure for it and it's progressive in nature. And if you don't have the discipline, the daily discipline that it's required, yeah. then, you know, this, this could be you as in like the pamphlet of the, the patient with really, really bad arms and legs. So that kind of scared me into compliance, if you will, but also gave me this um, undaunted work ethic and uh, appreciation for just basic mobility that a lot of people, especially at age 11, don't get that, um, that perspective that early on in life. For sure. Um, how, so how did you come to be working with lymphedema, like with the, the brands and stuff, the medical equipment that you work with? Like, have you always wanted to do something with it? No, no. And <laughs> as a matter of fact, it, and I know we'll, we'll talk about this in some capacity, but it, it really was me going on the bachelorette that, um, that got me, uh, I guess a weird segue and in, in conduit into the lymphedema industry uh, professionally, because before I was on the bachelorette, like even if, if you were to look at my Instagram, for example, mm -hmm. I didn't have a single post about lymphedema. I didn't have a single post of me even wearing my compression garment leg sleeve. Cause honestly, I wasn't super compliant as a patient. I mean, I managed it relatively well, um, okay. just like when I was playing sports and, you know, most people couldn't really tell if I was wearing a medical grade compression garment versus like what they see now with, you know, Nike, Under Armour, Lululemon, I think just compression right. garments in general has become fortunately such a, uh, an accepted and a normal thing in really any competitive sports this day and age that it's not necessarily like frowned upon or even noticeable. But when I was wearing it, when I was really young, there weren't players wearing just one leg sleeve that covered their whole leg. So people used to think I was wearing okay. pantyhose and used to kind of taunt me like that. Yeah. So there was some teasing that kind of led to yeah. self-shame, which made me not ever want to wear my garments. I didn't care how bad my legs swaw. I just didn't want to be teased for that. So um, again, to answer your question, I never even would have thought that what I'm doing now would be my profession before I went on the show. And how okay. it all came full circle was when I was on uh, The Bachelorette a couple seasons ago with uh, Hannah Brown was the lead relatively early on in the season. Um, I felt it was uh, in Hannah's best interest as well as my best interest to actually open up to her about my lymphedema. Yeah. And I never really watched the show before I was on it. I had seen a couple episodes here and there. And I think I maybe watched all of Colton's season just because I was about to be casted. So I was like kind of doing my recon 
yeah. on the girls <laughs> that would potentially become one of the bachelorettes, which ended up happening. But I, I didn't understand that typically what happens, I guess you almost want to call it an algorithm is that most patients or not patients, most contestants <laughs> who make it relatively far in the show don't really open up about their thing, like the thing that makes them them until like way later in the season, like final four. But really? I, I didn't, I didn't care about that. Right. Or, and maybe a little bit before the final four, but relatively later on, cause the first part's kind of like the levity, the joking, the flirting, you're on a one-on-one date or maybe a group date. And if the lead asks you a serious question about yourself, you know, what makes you, you, then that's typically where, where contestants okay. will open up. But I, I had to be, I had to be tenacious and I had to be bold and transparent about my lymphedema because before I was on the show, uh, I had lost a couple of serious long-term girlfriends because when I was going through all these series of episodes of infections in my, in my right leg, where I almost lost my right leg. It's like the girlfriends at the time couldn't handle being somewhat of a caretaker. Right. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, if I was to be the final guy that Hannah and I, you know, end up engaged and eventually going to, you know, the altar and exchanging wedding vows, one of the wedding vows that's common is in sickness and in health. So I thought in my opinion that it was, most important to me to tell Hannah about this disease that I have not to like scare her away but just to be like look like my strength that I have as an individual is very different than you know some of the other guys on my season who are just like really strong athletes and have you know incredible physiques which I'm not knocking that they worked hard for that but that just wasn't my strength my strength came from my pain tolerance and my you know ability to not quit whenever I wanted to (laughs) accomplish something, you know? So, and initially that conversation went pretty well. She was very accepting of it, but literally about an hour and a half later, um, I guess one of the guys in the house, uh, well, I know one of the guys in the house, this is what aired, uh, uh, Mike Johnson had told Hannah that I was basically telling her this medical sob story to get a pity rose, which though honestly, like one of the first times that, someone made me feel guilty for having a disability and let alone that Hannah basically called me back over and accused me of being calculated and manipulative for telling her about my medical condition. And to me, I would just, I was very confused why that situation went down. Like I didn't even know how to defend myself. And honestly, I shouldn't have to defend myself in that situation. And I was just very disappointed in the producers and the network for me being very honest and bold and doing all of the things that they want contestants to do, right? Because if you're truly trying to fall in love with someone, you should know about everything, flaws and all. So I was being bold and honest and transparent with Hannah, just like she requested all the guys to do. And it's like, when I did that, it got, yeah. you know, kind of shoved in my face and I ended up being sent home that evening. So that I was remember the first time I was ever yeah. public. Yeah, I was ever public about my lymphedema. And what was really even more unfortunate about that is the fact that the edit, they didn't even hear me say the word lymphedema, right? So right. what got spliced together was this like incoherent story that like people like, Cam, what the hell is this guy talking about? And so America is going to side with Mike and Hannah thinking like, okay, like, yeah, get this guy out of here. And here I am thinking, okay, there's 20 million people who are suffering in America alone who had an opportunity to have representation of this condition. 
and it got robbed from myself and it got robbed from those patients. And um, the same thing happened in paradise when I went out to bachelor in paradise. So I didn't have a great experience in, in that environment um, with my lymphedema, not only talking about it, but I wasn't wearing my garments on the show. Like I knew I should have um, the producers didn't tell me not to, I just, I was embarrassed. So I didn't do it, Right. but it was that it was after I got off the show, Alexa, that I uh, had the opportunity to meet with Kathy Bates, who is, um, she's a Academy okay. Award winning actress. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. For those of you, yeah, American Horror Story Titanic. <laughs> she was Bo- Bobby Boucher's mom and uh, Waterboy. Uh, she's in the office. So uh, just an incredible person. And she's a lymphedema patient too. She has it in her arms because of her breast cancer. And okay. um, she's the national spokesperson for this nonprofit that I work with called LEARN, which stands for Lymphatic Education Research Network. And so I'm one of the ambassadors and that is what got me excited to be public about my lymphedema, to start speaking at conferences, to start to become a patient advocate and an ambassador. And that's what was the segue into me getting into the professional role that I have here in Houston now, which is a compression therapy consultant. So I talk about lymphedema literally all day, every day. And it's something that I used to be hiding from. And now it's something that is really the embodiment of who I am and the community that I serve and have the privilege of uh, being a part of every single day. I want, I'm going to say thank you to start um, for doing that. You're literally the male version of me. I would have been done by the <laughs> same. I always think about it because, so mine was from a bad car accident. I had a, um, a okay. mild traumatic brain injury and now I have central Ooh. pain syndrome, which is like a neurological mm-hmm. disorder due to, um, nope damage to the brain, brain, stem, and spine. Mm-hmm. But the problem is my nerves are always firing. So like goosebumps, Constant I can barely, neuropathy. yeah, like just the goosebumps, yep. I'd rather rip my skin off or sometimes even cuddling or t- being touched, I could jump out of my skin. So it can be very hard in the dating world when you want to cuddle and do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm like, first dates and stuff I'll like well because I also talk on my I have my podcast my blog so people will ask about it and I I say it right out because I'm in constant pain there's days I have to cancel things so like last minute and Mm -hmm. I just want someone to know like mine doesn't supposedly get progressively worse but I just don't know and it's bad enough and there's no cure so I probably have done the exact same thing you did So I probably would have, and like when people don't understand or when people like do make comments like that, it kills you inside, especially for somebody that isn't very like at the time you didn't talk about it often. So for someone that's finally getting it out to somebody and to be torn down like that. It it really did give me, um, I know you talk with Blake uh, Horseman from, yeah from Bachelorette and, and from Paradise. And, and he's a great dude. I, I love Blake to death. I, I'm not super close with him. I don't really yeah. keep in close contact with people in the franchise because um, they're doing their thing. I'm doing my thing. I'm incredibly busy with my schedule. But, you know, he's someone who's been pretty vocal about mental health, like post-show, yeah. because he went from someone who was, I guess, seemingly a fan favorite, yeah. you know, on, on Bachelorette and then got a completely different experience in Paradise and really got dragged through the mud and uh and when the cameras aren't rolling when you have your phone and your social media like people are ruthless out there and they always tell us you know stay out of that stay out of the comment section but a lot of times that's unavoidable because if you're getting tagged or your friends are just a-holes and they're 
you know, taking screen captures of memes and gifts that are made of you and you get sent that, like you almost kind of get imposter syndrome where you start to believe the lies or believe yeah. the things that people who don't even know you are saying about you. And I, I honestly, I struggled uh, and sometimes still do struggle with that. I, I've gotten better over time just with other coping mechanisms. And the great thing about my job is, is dealing with the patient community who is very supportive and appreciative and they get to see the real side of me, not the reality <laughs> side of me, which is ironic because reality TV, right? You would you'd think, oh, it's right. the true depiction of yourself, right? <laughs> it's just hidden. It's just hidden LOL. cameras. Surely they're not they're not manipulating things, <laughs> but there's, there's a big part of the audience who does think that it's 100% real and the yeah. people in it are real and the conversations are real, but it's how it's portrayed. Right. That's where the, uh, apparatus, if you will, can be very easily configured to, to basically personify whoever you want to be personified as. And I was not personified as someone that is my true character and, and, and what I do, um, you know, professionally now, and that's okay. Uh, there's still rough days, just like I know you have rough days with, with your um, condition too, but it's, it's finding conversations like this and connecting with the yeah. real genuine people that I think um, can, can make a positive difference. And that's, that's what I'm about. I love that. Um, yeah. I've talked to Blake. I've talked to Ben, who's very Higgins, who's very big mm -hmm. into mental health too. Um, and it's just so nice to hear these stories because you're all real people. You're all just like me. You're just like everybody else. You just happen right. to go on a TV show. And to me, it's mm -hmm. the same with actors and actresses. They're being, their job is to be in movies, but they're just like me and they're just like you. So right. to me, that's where I want is to get the stories because people do have illnesses or mental health and it needs to come out because we're slowly talking more and more but we have a long ways to go. Right. And like talking about it's one thing, but it's when we're not doing these recordings and these conversations, it's like you as an individual having those conversations with yourself, having those self check-ins. That's one thing I was yep. really guilty of. I was neglecting my own, you know, uh, self, you know, positive talk. I was, you know, talking to other people and encouraging them, but I wasn't giving myself right. that same positive affirmation. And one point it just got to a point where I was just like, so blown out. And I had basically kind of a, a breakdown, uh, for lack of better words. And mm -hmm. I think as human beings, regardless of what your health condition is, um, physical or mental, we all have our thresholds. And I think it's really important yeah. to know what those are, because that can be your gauge of where you're at in whatever part of the day or whatever walk of life that you're in. And now I think I'm pretty self-aware. I know what my triggers are for my mental state of health. And obviously my physical, I know what those are too. But I also recognize the fact that that's going to change over time, right? Um, with not only the progressive nature of this, but like life. I, yeah. I aspire to be a husband one day, aspire to be a father. And that comes a whole new dynamic and role and responsibility that still requires self check-ins because right. I'm going to be a different man two years from now than I am currently having this conversation. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's like they say, I think I've said this on a, a few of these podcasts, which is kind of funny, but it just happens to work. But it's like, you sometimes have to take care of yourself first. It's like the, like when you're on a plane and they say like, you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself before like a child. Yep. Because like, yeah. if you're not breathing, how are you going to help them? So it's the same thing. You have to take well, care of yourself. Well, and the yourself. other thing too, you got to, 
love yourself before you can love anyone else. And I've been living the opposite of that. Uh, Truthfully, you know, as always my happiness rooted in making other people happy. And that's just not a sustainable way to live because at the end of the day, like you can do your best and and maybe you can make people happy and you should show love, but there's going to be broken people out there who won't receive your love. And that's not your fault, right? So that's one thing I would just always take personal when I couldn't fix the broken people in this world. And it made me feel broken. So instead of, again, to your analogy, putting that oxygen mask on and giving myself self-love first, um, you know, that's that's how I should be. And everyone should, frankly, be approaching their lives. Um, Are you sure you're not me? I literally feel like you're the same person (laughs) as I am. Like, actually, though, it's so crazy. Cause I was always like that too. I'd always like care about everybody else before myself. And I think when I really learn is being, is having my conditions and having right. my like, illness, it helped me to learn to grow and to be myself or love myself first because it was important and it helped a lot. So it's funny. I was just like, literally, well, it's also gonna... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also going to help you be able to communicate to your, you know, future significant other um, or just friends and family of yeah. things that, you know, you need assistance on. I think if we're talking in the realm of disabilities, I love live music and concerts. You remember those back in the day when we could go to concerts, but I, I used to really. love going I, to like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I used to love going to, I, I lived in Austin, Texas for a while. So ACL was like the Coachella of the South. So I used to love okay. going to that for the experience, but I also was miserable by Sunday because I had been on my feet all day and my leg would just swell so, so bad but I didn't ever want to be a burden on my friends and say, Hey guys, I need to go sit in the, you know, handicap section, or I need to bring, yeah. you know, a, a little stool so I can have my moments of sitting down. So now, because I know my body and I know myself uh, better than I ever have, I'm not afraid to speak up. So I think yeah. one of the things you had mentioned earlier in the conversation was like, when is it an appropriate time to have that conversation when you're in the dating world about some limitations or about a condition that you have. Um, and I, me personally, and I think you would agree is the earlier, the better. And yes. it's, it's, a, it's a good filter too, because if you, again, if you can't, uh, you know, find someone who's going to not just accept you, I don't like that term, but embrace you right. flaws and all, then you're wasting your time and the other person's time too. Exactly. And one thing is, so I'm taking my like business full time. So that's like when on your bio, like I'll write a podcast host. So that's kind of that mm-hmm. icebreaker too, because people will ask me like, oh, what's this about? Or, or what's your podcast about? So it's like my segue early on, like in the very beginning to be able to say like what I am. Right. right. Or not what I am, what I have, like my, that part of me. <laughs> right. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I so. agree. Definitely earlier, the better. Um, and so speaking, because we were talking about support for a little while, like during your whole time from like age 11 now, like, have you had a lot of support, like from family? And I friends? am. Yeah, I am very, very blessed to have a supportive uh, family. My parents are still together. I have an older sister. She's amazing. She's a um, third grade teacher now. So they're just very um, supportive. They have been of all of my hobbies. Uh, They weren't initially supportive of me doing the bachelorette. That's for sure. uh, For good reason. 
but uh, having them to not only take me to the doctor's office, but to be there when I'm recovering from now, I've had 13 surgeries on my knee, uh, really just in the past six years. So being there when I'm hearing those tough conversations about the likelihood of an above the knee amputation, like they're there to give me all of the support in the world. And like I was saying earlier about kind of like being transparent as a way to kind of filter out potential spouses or significant mm -hmm. others. It's also been a way for me as I've gotten older to filter out true friends, because it's yeah. one thing if they have a oh, party cam, who's going to, you know, be the life of the party on the dance floor, you know, buying drinks for everyone and going on these fun little, you know, trips for spring break and this and that. But when, when Cam's recovering in the hospital from a major knee surgery, and I don't even get as much as a text message, like, Hey, how are you doing? How are you recovering? That's where I've been able to, you know, find out who my true friends and my true support system uh, really is. So it's been a, been a blessing in disguise, to be honest. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I like, like you, I've also been extremely lucky. Um, my parents have been by my side 100%. Um, because I had a time I had doctors telling me that it was in my head um, and that I basically I was crazy and they didn't believe them either. Like they were on my side and even my friends have been truly amazing. My like small, I keep it like the quality over quantity because I think that's more important, totally. especially for what I go through. I don't need all these people. And I'm the exact same way because I think when I initially got off of um, Bachelorette and Bachelor in Paradise, one of like the key metrics, if you will, is I think we as contestants feel affirmation and validation by way of how many followers do we have, right? Yeah. And it was kind of funny because the first, like for the Bachelorette, for example, um, for the first three weeks that I was on, at one point in time, I actually almost had more screen time than even Hannah, me and Luke Parker, the kind of two villains early on in the season, we had like the most screen time. And typically that associates to, oh, wow, this is going to be a fan favorite or, you know, these people are going to be public figures, so to speak. But looking back now, I think based on doing Bachelorette and Bachelor in Paradise, I really don't have that large, uh, relatively speaking of a social media following. Um, compared to some of my other castmates who are just basically, you know, full-time influencers, like that's their life. But again, I would much rather have a hundred followers of lymphedema patients and supporters than have hundreds of thousands of just fangirls and fanboys who don't really yeah. care or know anything about the true me. Right. No, I agree. And I think that's like, it's like the quality over quantity. I, it, it's totally. important. So have you like asked since you've like kind of come out more with lymphedema and talking about about it more? Has any of the people from your cast like reached out to you since they didn't really like or after the show at all? No, and honestly, that was uh, another thing that I was pretty disappointed in. Um, especially with like this past December, I had another major knee surgery, had a, a bout of infection. And I would have figured, okay, if I'm at least posting at that, that's not my cry to help or my call to like, hey, you know, I'm fishing for, for sympathy right. here, you know, whatever. But I would have figured that if any of these guys or girl, frankly, like calling out Hannah Brown here, if they actually cared, um, they would have said something. But I get it. They're busy. They're kind of living their own lives. And, you know, I guess unless I'm invested in in their lives they don't want to be invested in mine uh but 
but no, short answer, no. I mean, th there's been a few here and there um, that I, you know, I do have semi-regular uh, communication with, and they'll be, hey, you know, hope hope your legs are doing well. I, I saw on your Instagram, and, and they'll give that support, but it's nowhere near what my immediate family and my immediate friends here yeah. in Texas are, and, and I'm just blessed to have them, and, and really the lymphedema community at large. I mean, I would get direct messages from patients in Morocco and in South America and in Australia, Italy, like all over. And to me, that's way cooler than some castmate on the show who has a million followers who dates supermodels every week and say, Hey, how's it going, bro? You know, <laughs> not naming oh my names, gosh. but I think we all, I think we all know who I'm referring to. <laughs> oh, this is some good tea. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But um, no, I, I agree with what you're saying. And that's like another reason, like I like to reach out to people because I don't know much about, I didn't know much about you obviously from the show cause you only see that little bit. Right. And but you all, we all have a story and I wouldn't have known this about you. Yeah, so. it, it's kind of <laughs> funny because we, we get kind of personified. Like I was saying earlier, you know you're a product of the edit. And this whole like ABC uh, always be cam. That was an inside joke. I had night one with one producer, but then it just got looped and that's who they wanted me to become. So now when I am out in public and if I do get recognized, Oh, it's ABC cam. And I'm like, in my closest friends and family, like, what the hell is that? You never talk in third person. I said, I know. And now it's something I'm kind of branded with, which I, I know there's worse things to, to be branded by, but it just kind of goes to show what the general mass public perceives of you isn't the true you. So I appreciate the conversation and you reaching out and, and getting to peel back the layers of the onion. Well, thank you. And before we um, end the conversation, is there anything else you want to just say to the audience? You can um, plug your Instagram, whatever your the, I wanna put down learn, right? You can talk about learn anything. If there's anything else you want to add. Yeah. So if you guys are interested in getting to know me on a personal level or as personal as I can via social media, my Instagram is Cam Ron, C-A-M-R-O-N, Ayala, my last name, A-Y-A-L-A. -A -A. So Cameron Ayala. And uh, if you want to learn more about lymphedema, I suggest you guys checking out um, the nonprofit I work with. The acronym is LEARN. Lymphatic Education and Research Network. And if you shoot me a DM, I try to respond best I can, um, but uh, I stay pretty busy with my patients in clinics. So I'm not on it too, too often, but uh, just happy you guys have me on. If you have any questions, uh, love to have those conversations with you guys. All right, well, thank you. It's been a lot of fun and very um, inspirational. So I appreciate it. And um, all the links will be in the description below. Bye guys.